This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Jordan, welcome to the show. I've been reading about you and honored to meet you and have you on. You are uh, definitely an expert in growing, scaling businesses. You've done this in numerous uh, aspects, our ways, and especially in you know different real estate businesses. And so I'm looking forward to diving in. Uh, before we do, man, tell the listeners a little more about you, about Arc Homes, and, and maybe your focus right now, uh, You know what you're up to. Thank you. I appreciate it, sir. It's an honor to be here and I appreciate your time as well. Yeah. So, you know, Arc Homes for Rent started uh, under a different company name in 2008. Um, I started at the on the heels of the global financial crisis. And, you know, we've been through a couple of different uh, variations of our, of our firm, although we've always been very much focused on, on housing and making housing affordable for, for the masses. We've come a long way. You know, we, when we started, we were initially buying, repositioning, and selling homes throughout the country. Uh, as a matter of fact, in 2008, we were buying from California to Florida, uh, you know, buying, repositioning, and selling, finding opportunities in the market. Uh, and it was in 2012 that uh, I decided that this was really going to become an alternative living option, meaning single-family homes as rentals uh, uh, versus multifamily being what's you know most widely known, at least at the time, as the only rental option. And so um, since 2012, we've been long-term holders and investors in the single-family asset class. Um, I think that we, to answer your question directly, what Arcomps Rent is up to, we, we're doing a couple of really interesting things. Uh, and this all started around 2015. We decided, you know, if we're going to rent homes, we want to make sure that it's the best possible living experience. So we're only going to rent newly built homes. That was one of the first things that we did. So today, if you look at our portfolio across 22 different uh, markets, um, it's all brand new homes. And, and I should clarify, it's townhouses and detached single family housing. The second thing that we decided was that we wanted to connect with our residents in such a way where it would not only be a transactional relationship, meaning you need a new home, you come to us, you rent it. And then, you know, at the end of a year, we say, do you want to renew or not? That didn't feel right to us. Um, and I think that what's, what's behind that is I like to connect with people. I like to understand, you know, what makes them tick and how I can help them. And so we decided that we were going to be the only um, new rental home company in America that was also going to offer preventative health and wellness options to our residents. And with that in mind, we created an app which is called Arc Living. Uh, and if you're an Arc Homes for Rent uh, resident, you get the Arc Living app and it'll give you things in six functional areas of health and wellness, things such as mental health, movement, diagnostics, nutrition. So all these things that historically have been marketed uh, to the 1%, we said, no, we're going to make that available and affordable and accessible to the 99%. And we're going to start with our residents. And so that's what we've been up to in terms of you know how we set ourselves apart. A little bit about what the platform has done uh, in, in the last couple of years and what our plans are here into the future. The firm merged into a partnership about two and a half years ago with one of the world's leading real estate investors and operators. They happen to own a very large multifamily company as well. 
And we said, you know, let's bring multifamily and single family under one umbrella. Um, let's create a platform that gives our renters the ability to move between multifamily and single family. Just for our listeners, you may know that multifamily is predominantly you know, one and two bedrooms. Single family is typically three and four bedrooms. And so we said, hey, how great would it be to have one ecosystem where when people are moving out of multifamily because they, their families are growing or, or, or whatever the case may be, they're going to move right into our single family. And so that's part of what we've been up to uh, since the firm has grown. We've created synergies between multifamily and single family. We've grown um, close to 10,000 units today. Um, and into the future, into the near future, I should say, we expect that we're going to be in the kind of 20 to 30,000 unit range um, across uh, the Sunbelt markets, which is where we invest. So I'm sorry for the long answer, but I gave you a lot there. No, that's, that's a great background. I love the uh, just the the way you all looked at doing it different, right? You know, maybe the, most of your competitors or most people that had done it before you, uh, you know, and and I love the how you it sounds like you all came into it very strategically, even with uh, a buy box, right? Of you know, you only wanted to only wanted newly built uh, units. Right. Uh, and so I can imagine that helped in a number of fronts. Were you all building these as well? Uh, or was it, you know, you're buying from developers? Uh, what was kind of that scenario to grow in that way? So our strategy um, bifurcates into two different areas. The first is what we call mini, mini new bulk. So what we'll do is, as we have been doing for a long time, we'll go to builders, both public and private, and say, hey, we want to be your partner at the end of a quarter or when you're about to close out a community, those last 15 or 20 or 50 homes, we'll buy them, we'll rent them, because we want our renters to feel like they're living in a community where they would own. Um, and so that's the first strategy. And that's what we call, um, you know, mini bulk single family rentals, SFR. Uh, the second strategy is built to rent, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, and, and that's essentially, um, you know, horizontal multifamily. That is us developing or partnering with uh, our preferred builders to develop um, a full community, just like you would find a multifamily with all of the amenities, clubhouse, gyms, pools, et cetera, um, except that they're all townhomes or, or detached single family homes. And so the answer is we do both. We buy new and we build new. Okay. No, that's interesting. It sounds like you all are, but uh, even in both of those scenarios, though, you are, you're finding developers that are, that you're partnering with in, in one form or fashion, it sounds like, or the first one, it's interesting. You know, you're saying, we'll, we'll buy those, that last 10, 15, 20% of your homes in a community you're building. That's got to be a relief to them, I, I would imagine, uh, you know, to take that last chunk uh, of a community that they're developing. Uh, but then maybe it's the second one in the build to rent where you're more so, finding developers to partner with. Is that accurate? With slight modification. It's not developers that we partner with. It's the very same home builders that, you know, uh, anybody would be buying a brand new home from. We go to them and say, look, you're excellent builders. We are managers, visionaries, developers. We'd like to contract you to build this for us. And the reason that we do that is because we want to be good at what we're good at. We know that we can build if we want to, but if but because these builder partners um, have worked with us for such a long time, they're willing to build the product for us. Uh, and it, frankly, it works for them, um, you know, to, to be able to build out a community of, call it our average community is 200 homes. 
um, to do it in, in a way where it's efficient and they're not selling those off into the retail market um, while, of course, having a nice margin, um, it works for everyone. Has this method, you know, you know, has it, how has it changed, I guess, over the years, but then even more specifically over the last right, two, three years? The single family rental asset class is still in many ways a nascent asset class. You know, I'm in it since 2008. I would say the majority of the large institutional capital started piling in around 2012, 2014. Yeah. Um, the change is as follows that there's still a huge deficit of affordable housing in America. And what we do is absolutely bridging that gap, is absolutely giving that affordable product, um, you know, delivering it, I should say. And so the big change is that you see a lot of players that are capital market participants who, you know, they get it, they bought into the thesis that we've bought into it for a long time, but they don't have the market depth or the boots on the ground or the operations. And so what's happening is we're seeing a lot more competition for that land site or for those homes that we want to buy. But in reality, a lot of transactions aren't happening because people are trying to like, you know, put the Lego pieces together. And it takes a long time to build a shop that works like a machine like we've done. So that's, that's a big challenge that we're dealing with. Yeah. Do you plan to continue on the single family side or shift more to multifamily or continue both avenues? So our Combs for Rent is exclusively a single family home platform, and that's what it will always do. You know, uh, at, at the kind of sister company level, yeah, we do multifamily and that that doesn't necessarily interfere with uh, our Combs for Rent. It's different company, different people, but we do focus very much so on the synergies between multifamily and single family, and, and we continue to enjoy some of those benefits. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's awesome. That's uh, the infrastructure, like you said, is, is not easy to develop, right? In almost any business, right? But, 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 you know, specifically in say that type of operation, single family, uh, that many. But I think it's nice though that you all are are buying. You know, when you're buying that last, say, 10, 20%, uh, you know, of a builder's homes, you're still getting the economy of scale in one location, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we 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 are. Uh, that's why, you know, dissimilar to, um, and I'm not being critical at all because very smart people and friendly competitors in the space, but most of our competitors, they are still buying um, off of the MLS or through other sources, um, what's referred to as scattered housing. Yeah. And, and I think it's a fantastic model and there's a great need for it. But from our perspective, because we're not looking to be, you know, 100,000 homes, we felt that it's a lot more manageable when you could cluster, you know, 15, 20, 50 units at a time, because you start, not only do you get efficiencies as you've correctly pointed out, but you also start to create like these mini communities. We, we brand our product heavily. We talk to our residents. We, we've created an app for them, as I mentioned, and we want them to like know each other and work together. Are you all self-managing as well? I assume so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We manage everything in-house. We're, we're vertically integrated across the board. When did you all bring management in-house or has that been from the beginning? Ah, great question. Um, that um, has not always been. So when I started the firm, we were third-party managing. That lasted for about a year. Um, and, and I concluded that if we were going to really grow in this space, we were going to have to go through the pain ourselves and, and figure it out. Um, Regrettably, a lot of the third-party managers that came into the space early on, they were multifamily managers trying to figure out single-family. Yeah. 
mm. and it's um, it, it's oil and vinegar. They just they are so different. So yeah, we 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 have had to do everything in house. Welcome back to the show. I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation. I want to I want to encourage the listeners. If you didn't, you need to go back and listen to yesterday's show. You're going to hear more about Jordan and and what's happened at Arc Homes and and how they have scaled. And you're going to hear some key things that he dropped a number of things just that you know that he focused on, especially early on, and, and even percentages of how he did that. And we dove into a few of those. Uh, which I thought were were just crucial. If you are earlier in your business or start e- either way, even if you've been in business ten years, you, you need to hear some of those things that he was just elaborating on in yesterday's segment. Uh, today, Jordan, let's continue the conversation. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you again. I, I want to just keep. I, I get questions all the time, Jordan, about growing, scaling, and especially the scaling piece. You know, I feel like oftentimes we get in in ruts, right? Or or things happen. Uh, maybe we have some hard times, and it just feels like we cannot uh, get get past it. You know, uh, and I feel like it's just that journey of an entrepreneur, and that's what many of us I feel like live for. You know, it's like figuring out how to get past that next hurdle to scale or to grow or whatever that may may be. Uh, Jordan, I'm sure there's been some hard times you faced or, you know, maybe even early on or, or even more recently. Any any examples that you could share uh, or maybe we could dive into? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I think the most relevant one was just under three years ago now, we kind of joined forces with a much larger firm. Actually, it's a, a public company in Israel. And I'd say one of the biggest challenges that I've had to overcome is I, I come from an entrepreneurial world. That's what I've always been. That's what I've always done. And when all of a sudden you have to adapt to not only reporting as a public company needs you to report, but to kind of staff up, um, train your team, recreate processes, technology. I mean, everything had to change in a very short period of time. By the way, all happening while there was a tremendous market opportunity for us to scale up relatively quickly and and and, and buy a lot of product. And so we were definitely, uh, you know, building the railroad with the train coming at 100 miles an hour. And uh, and and it was rough. It was rough for a while, but here we are on the other side of that with a far tighter operation. Um, we've we've matured as an organization as a result of that, uh, and I'm very thankful for that. So. Yeah, big big lesson learned. It's interesting. I just find it's it's times like that that it pushes us to think differently, right? Like you all had to do things differently because you couldn't just like take one next step. You had to take like ten steps, right? And you had to you had to you had to think differently to be able to accomplish that. And I think in a way that you probably wouldn't have thought of otherwise. You would have just been thinking maybe one or two steps ahead versus no, we got to figure out how to get ten steps ahead. Uh, is that accurate? It's accurate. It, listen, it's adapt or die. It's just the way it works. <laughs> Love that. No doubt. Uh, speak to maybe how you all came together at that time as a team and were able to move forward that fast. Because uh, no doubt it required so much from not just you, but I would imagine the entire team in a big way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's always, I mean, it's all about the team. But Several things happened. Uh, you know, first of all, I had to make a lot of tough decisions around former team, right? Because sometimes you may have the best plans and, and the right partners and the capital and whatever else, but the people that are there are resistant to the change and to the growth. 
And so, uh, unfortunately, some really good people that were with me, you know, they didn't make it, uh, weren't ready for the challenge or for the growth or whatever. On the other side, the positive is, is that the people that we welcomed embraced that change. And, um, and so here we are. But I, I, I'll say that another big challenge was it's really tough when you've done something a certain way for a long time, because all of your kind of ecosystem, service providers, et cetera, they're used to that. All of a sudden on a Monday morning, you wake up and you say, hey, you know, you know, you know, we've been doing business for the last five years and we're going to have to change that because there's more processes and there's more paperwork. And, you know, all of a sudden you find that it's not only about your internal team, it's about the whole ecosystem around you has to change. Mm. Um, and so that that was that was quite, quite challenging as well. But like anything else, we've overcome it. We stay positive and, you know, chin up, ready, ready for the next battle. That's an interesting point. Uh, so not only the team had to change, but the whole ecosystem around you. Uh, any other examples, you know, as far as helping us understand a better about like the whole ecosystem that had to change? Any other, I don't know, any, some clarification there uh, of what, you know, what else had to change? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's really everything because if you think about it, uh, you know, so if you're a, think of a small real estate investment firm, and you have your accountants and you have your attorneys and you have your service providers and you have your employees. And, you, you know, so all of a sudden, when the expectations are that you're going to operate at a different level, you start to realize that you have really good, loyal people. Some of them will rise to the occasion and invest in themselves or in their respective businesses to give you the service that you need for your growth. Some will say, well, that's not who we are. Or that's not what we do. And so what you realize is that it all starts from within. You have to first upgrade yourself, your your team, your your processes, your technology, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, you find that you're spending all this time talking to everyone around you saying like, hey, are you game for this or not? Because this is what we got to do. Yeah, I mean, it's everything. It's everything. I can tell you painters that, were, that are painting homes for us, great people, um, 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 licensed uh, field agents who were bringing us uh, leases. You know, some people adapted and some people chose not to adapt. And so we had to make the decisions that we made. Yeah, I, I think it's so wise. It's such good advice. But it, but it is so hard in the moment uh, to see going through that change, especially you talked about some were resistant to the change, obviously, uh, and, and didn't work out. Uh, yeah. Any thoughts around how, you know, and, and this is kind of a side conversation now, but, but letting people go. Well, you know, when you see... Um, you can, when you can see that maybe someone's not going to work out, any tips on how to let somebody go well? I, I don't know, just thinking through that. Yeah, you, you, you've hit on my Achilles heel. You know, I'm, I'm naturally a, a people person and, and I, I, I like people. I don't like, they give me reason not to, but for the most part, I really give people a benefit of the doubt and I want to, you know, work hard at, at molding them into what I want them to be. So it's been a tough learning lesson for me as a, as a founder to understand um, from some wise people around me that, hey, some people are not going to change and some people don't want to invest in themselves or put in the time. So you got to let them go. Um, here's your answer. Uh, I'm very comfortable letting people go because I know just because of who I am and how I operate that I will have done everything possible to try to protect them before I have to let them go. And as they say, sometimes people can help themselves. When I've had to let people go, it's because I'm sure that they just have not, they're just not listening and, and, and they're just not right for the role. 
Um, I, I will say that the three things that I keep in mind when I, when I have to let somebody go is number one, I always offer my network to people. Um, again, unless they've done something where they haven't served me or my firm well, I will always tell them, you tell me where you want to go and I will help you um, because, of, because I'm a people person and I have a, a larger, best network. Number two, um, I say this to people when, when we hire them. And unfortunately, if we have to let them go, I say, I, I'm open to any and every mistake. But if you lie to me once, that's when I'm not going to help you. So that's the second rule. And then the third one is, if you're going to badmouth us, um, you will find yourself with, 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 with not a great surprise on the other end. Because I know, again, that I'm going to go out of my way to help people. There, there's ne there should never be a situation or a reason for somebody to badmouth uh, an employer that has tried to go out of their way to help you. So that, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Some great tips because uh, uh, if you're in business long enough, it, it's going to happen, right? It's just part of the business cycle uh, and it's part of growth. And I just appreciate just the conversation around uh, the growth piece, how you all have grown uh, and how not every team member, not every say partner, you know, in your ecosystem, like you said, attorneys or even down to the painters are going to grow with you. Uh, you know, speak to now, you know, as you all continue to scale, uh, you know, just the uncertain market, you know, the uncertain uncertainty in the market right now. How are you all attracting talent now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud to say that um, it's far less difficult for us to attract talent today than it was just a couple of years ago, because thankfully we have a reputation in the market, not only as one of the leaders in our space and definitely a pioneer in the single family industry, but um, we have uh, a really uh, solid reputation as, as a company that is well capitalized, takes care of their people, and is growing. And so I'd say that we are um, not having to hunt nearly as hard as we once were. Um, I, people really want to come to us. And, and also, look, we're based in South Florida, um, very close to Miami. That, that kind of helps too. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, pool there to, to have uh, as far as a large pool of, of talent, I'm sure. Um, you know, Jordan, what would you have done differently? You know, if you look back to 2008, any thoughts of, man, I wish I had known this when I started or uh, anything around me, whether it's single family or to hiring or even, you know, personally, how you led the, led the team? Yeah, I, I, um, I've thought about this a lot. And uh, I think, number one, I, I would have put together an, an advisory board day one. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I have a, a really good network and I'm blessed to have a lot of people that are out there to, to help me and listen to me. And so I should have put together an advisory board that would have helped me from making some, some stupid mistakes. Um, number two, I, 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 I had had a success from a previous company when I started this one, my mentality for better or worse has always been, you know, to match your revenue and expenses, meaning don't get too ahead of your skis and invest too much until you know that there's a viable business concept there. And I, I probably should have invested um, um, into some really good people early on, as opposed to like, you know, just kind of trying to do it step by step, because they would have helped me not make as many mistakes as I made early on while I learned, um, you, you know, while I learned uh, the business. Um, so yeah, th those are the two, the two big ones for me. That's a, it's great advice. Uh, and I hear it from so many people say, you know, they didn't hire fast enough. 
uh, you know, great people. They they didn't uh, invest enough in their people early on. And I love the advisory board thought. Uh, you know, it's like, man, put together a team of people that care about you, that's ahead of you, uh, that you can run stuff by because you just hadn't been there and done it yet, right? Uh, and the man could just save so much. All right. So what about, uh, Jordan, Any th- what are your thoughts? Uh, and, and I ask this of everybody, especially with your level of experience, uh, you know, about your thoughts for the next 6, 12, 18 months in the real estate market, right? And obviously, none of us know exactly what's going to happen. However, what we believe is going to happen affects what we do uh, normally. Uh, so, you know, for you, what's your expectations uh, just for the economy, real estate market over the next 6, 12, 18 months? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a big one. Um, look, I think just starting kind of zoomed out. Um, it, it's a really scary time for a number of reasons. Number one, I think that uh, America as a whole is 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 very vulnerable in the sense that we find ourselves consuming a lot of information, but not necessarily um, believing or fact checking right? Like how much of this information is actually accurate versus, you know, us being sold something. And that affects so many things. It affects market sentiment. It affects renters. It affects interest rates. It affects a lot of things. And so I, I fear that we've become um, far too comfortable with the information that we're digesting and we're not questioning enough and saying like, Hey, what, what, what's true here and what's real. So that, for our business um, has several different ripple effects. Um, I, I will say that I find a lot of comfort on the other hand, in that whether it's accurate or not, doesn't, doesn't matter for the time being, there's a lot of positivity around uh, the housing asset class. And the reason for that, and this is for sure a fact, is that there's a, there's a huge deficit. Uh, there's just a huge deficit in our country for the, for that supply. And so you know, we we know that we're delivering into a segment that is very much needed. And interest rates aside, you know, veracity of information that's being presented aside, um, there's a lot of people that need to rent homes. And so I'm very excited. And it gives me a lot of comfort to know that we're doing something that not only is helping, but it's not it's not like a nice to have investment. It's not a nice to have thing. It's a must. And so I like being in businesses where we are in the must category. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that there, it it certainly is, um, hugely challenging. Uh, I mentioned on, on the previous podcast, the fact that there's so many capital players that want to be in this space, because what happens when that's the case is that, you know, things are bid up, prices go up. And, um, at the end of the day, you can't get deals done if that's the case. And so I I am concerned about weeding out those that are real and long-term players versus market speculators. Um, and so, yeah, th- those are all, those are all big, big challenges, but I will say that, um, just to close up the answer here, we spent a lot of time in the last three years, putting, putting a lot of product into the pipeline, knowing that this was going to happen eventually. And so we're sitting in a position where we don't necessarily have to scramble. If it takes two or three years for things to correct, we have plenty of pipeline to work with. And we're, we're going to be plenty busy for a long time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, uh, where where do you gather most of your, say, data or, or information now that you trust? You know, you talked about we're getting all this data, but we're, we're not always sure the accuracy of it. But, uh, you know, what's some of the most important, say, resources that you use now? 
Yeah, well, we 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 spend a lot uh, a lot of time and, and money and energy on data. We we have there's not there's no one source. We have a combination of external um, and internal public data sources um, that that are all fed into an algorithm that we use to make every you know buying or investment decision. So, for example, um, you know if you're just talking about rents, you know we may pull information from you know Zillow and Trulia and a bunch of different third party sources. But we're also comparing that data to real-time data from our multifamily side, from our sister company, and from our own portfolio. And we're also looking at National Association of Realtors. And so we're looking at a lot of different things. We have our own internal model that we use. Um, I, I just want to be clear. Um, you, know, you know, data is data. Data doesn't lie. I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't mean to question you know, the data. I'm saying more, more as it relates to just general news and sentiment. I feel like we are being fed a lot of different things through social media and others where where people kind of don't really understand where where we are. Where 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 are we in this economic cycle? I hear this question all the time and I'm saying, well, of course you don't know. You're not looking at numbers. You, you know, you're getting these little tidbit segments that are selling you positivity because you know, there's other things playing into that. Let's just keep it at that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jordan, just a few final quicker questions here at the end. Uh, give us some ways maybe you've improved your business recently that we could apply to ours. Uh, I'm going to go back to I'm going to go back to technology and process. I would say that that's been hugely helpful. Um, number two, um, I, I personally have become more active um, in different um, committees uh, you know, relevant to our industry. Um, that has helped broaden my scope and, and, and thought process around things. Um, and three, um, I do now have that advisory board um, with uh, with very experienced people. And I would say that those have made a significant impact. Yeah, good for you. Uh, uh, maybe a quick tip on how you developed that board, how you reached out to those people or found them and, and reached out to them. Um, yeah, well, you know, the, the finding them, it's just, you know, over time, uh, you know, conferences, referrals. Um, different LPs, limited partners, investors who have said, hey, you know, you should meet such and such. Um, how it all came together, um, it, it was over a process of 10 years. Um, you know, today I have um, one of the top three uh, private equity investors uh, globally uh, who sits on our board uh, in real estate, uh, I should say private equity real estate. Um, and and I, I believe the reason that he agreed to do it was because he got to observe me and what we're doing over 10 years. He got to trust me and he felt that this is worth his time. So it just takes time. It's relationship building like anything else. What's been your your best source for say meeting new investors and growing, you know, your your network of investors? Results. Results. Um, you know, with results, more and more people talk and they they start approaching you. Um, outbound marketing is is great. But I think it only takes you so far. Uh, I think once you uh, once you get uh, once you make it known that you can produce results over and over again, things start to happen. What's your best advice for passive investors right now, or LPs? When you're ready to invest, don't think again, and then keep doing that like five times. What about uh, what are some of the most important metrics that you track? Could be uh, professionally or personally, either one. 
Yeah. Um, look, professionally, we have a KPI dashboard that we look at in every single functional area of our business. Um, there, there's many. I will tell you that the most important one that I like to look at daily um, is conversion rates You know, for, for traffic um, and for leases, um, because that's your top line, right? If you don't have that, you don't have a business. Personally, <laughs> I tend to track, um, am I doing two uh, breathing or meditation sessions a day. Uh, if I do that, I'm effective. If I don't, I'm that much less effective. Yeah. I was going to ask you about any habits that you're disciplined about, and maybe that's that's one of them. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty disciplined. I run hard. I, I, I wake up at 4.30 every morning. Um, I have a very, um, you know, kind of good program that I've done for years in terms of working out, breathing, uh, certain types of nutrition. Um, prayer. Um, yeah, I would say the two hours every morning that I take for myself, um, it's just, it, it makes a day or breaks it. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. And then how do you like to give back? Ah, uh, that, that's, yeah. I, I mean, I'm fortunate to say that I, I, I do quite a bit. I, um, I love mentoring entrepreneurs. I give both time uh, and significant amount of my income um, to different charities. Um, I'm on several boards, um, but I would say the one common thread is that um, whether you know through my faith or not, um, I, I like helping people um, in business. So any opportunity I have to take a younger entrepreneur who's tri- trying to figure it out, I'm there. I'm help. I want to help skip the 20 steps and the 20 questions. Yeah, it'd be part of that advisory board, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, pay it forward. Yeah, Jordan, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show now for two days or two shows in a row and and uh, just grateful to get to know you and really hear your your success journey, right? And I call it a journey because it is, right? The ups and downs and, and of an entrepreneur and a business and growing as fast as you all have and and just grateful for you being willing to to share uh, some of the difficulties, right? You all have had and even three years ago and, and you know, the, how you all joined uh, in a way that made you all scale and think differently, right? And it pulled you out of the, the box maybe a little bit, you know, out, out of your all's comfort zone. Uh, and so, man, just grateful so much for your time, the way you've given back to us. Uh, tell the listeners again how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you and ARC. Sure. And thank you. Thank you for your time. It was an honor. Um, you can contact me by email. It's J-O-R-D-A-N at T as in Thomas, I as in India, M as in Mary, G as in George, M as in Mary, T as in Thomas dot com. So Jordan at T-I-M-G-M-T dot com. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.